your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listen, you guys know I am so critical of other podcasts. I mean, I've told you all the podcasts I don't like. Well, let me tell you about a podcast that I freaking love. It's called Talk Easy with Sam Fergoso, and it's a different kind of weekly interview show. Eat Sunday, Sam invites an actor, writer, activist, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart. And these people, they're all famous. They speak from ways like you've never heard them before. Now, you know what we do here behind the Velvet Rope. And just like us, Sam deep dives into the lives of his guests. You know I'm such a name dropper, right? So listen, this is like a who's who of pop culture. Jenny Slate, Billy Eichner. Oh my God, have you guys seen Bros? It's like the best movie. Billy is great. He's had on Ethan Hawke, Kate Blanchett. Oh my God. Questlove, Laura Dern. It's, these interviews are so freaking good. Now in today's preview, because I'm going to share a preview with you, you're going to hear Sam sit down with actor, writer, and director Lake Bell. You know how great Lake Bell is? Remember when she was on Boston Legal? There's a little bit of pop culture trivia for you. Lake shares her path to creating Inside Voice, a new audiobook from Pushkin Industries. She talks about growing up in Manhattan in the 80s. How cool is that? This interview is so interesting. And she talks about where she wants to go in her career and where she's been. So here is a preview. I mean, don't take my word for it. From Pushkin Industries of Sam's interview with Lake Bell. You grow up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan in the 1980s. Looking back, was Lauren Bacall the first voice you fell in love with? Lauren Bacall was the first voice that I noticed and was like, I gotta put that in a file somewhere. It sounded differently than anyone I had known directly. My mom has a beautiful voice, but Lauren Bacall had something that was different. There was a deepness 
that vocal quality where I thought, ooh, I want to put that away in a file somewhere and maybe think of women sounding like that. It just was indelible for some reason. Not only was she in the, you know, motion pictures and not only was she kind of my entryway into seeing movies that weren't sort of in the cinemas in the 80s. It was like, you know, the first time you see certain classics to have and to have not. I felt like those were that was the first time not only was I cinematically peaked, but also her voice and her vocal quality. It was deeper than the women around me that I knew. My nanny, when I was a little girl, she had an amazing Irish accent, actually. And I don't speak about her in the book, but she used to call me squidgy. Um, what did it sound like? She, I, I honestly can't do the Irish accent, but she would just be like, oh, squidgy, you know. <laughs> and I just, She was so cute and like a sweet older lady. Uh, and she was just very important to me. But um, I just think about... New York being such a central sort of hub of so many different sounds that really kind of made it impossible to ignore that voices sounded like a multitude of different things coming from every corner of the globe. And that was something I was interested in. It was around this time that you landed your first job performing on The Late Lake Show. The Late Lake Show was my first professional endeavor. Was that in, on CBS? In the arts. It did not make it to CBS. I was six years old. And it was just a procrastination tool to go to bed. I was mm -hmm. just like, hey, you know, grown up making grown ups laugh. Let's do The Late Lake Show, you know. And was that a theme song? It was not. Um, I just adjusted it there. We had kind of a great band. And when I say we, it was just me and my stuffed animals. And... It really was just like whoever I could get involved in the moment. Sometimes I would pull some of the grown-ups into it, but really it was just like precocious child trying to entertain. And it was there was a kaleidoscope of different sounds and voices and accents and dialects that I would just throw at the wall and make grown-ups laugh. Did both your mom and your father equally enjoy it? My parents are divorced. They were divorced when I was like, one. So it was my mom, and my stepfather, Gilbert, who I really entertained because they had dinner parties. I had an audience built in. So after the dinner parties and drinks had been imbibed, you know, it would be like, oh, look how cute. And, you know, they're a good audience. <laughs> the point is that they were very amused. And um, I think any time a kid gets a laugh from an adult, they're like, ooh, gotta, ooh, I'm gonna pin that. Come age 12. You and your mother move to Vero Beach, Florida. Then at 13, you work as an au pair in France for a family with six children. Then at 14, you go back to Florida, then go to boarding school. Of that time, you said, when I was younger, I was inspired to travel, mainly just to hear how people sounded in other countries. I collected these little tidbits because it felt like I could become someone else and voicing an accent. Why do you think at that age you wanted to become someone else? I mean, escapism, I think, is built into childhood somehow. You're either interested in comic books or movies or imagination play, imaginative play, rather. You seek out opportunities to take on different personas and escape, you know? That's just part of childhood, I think, and part of being a mind that's forming and creating new worldviews and concepts. And so for me, I definitely looked at 
creating voices and collecting dialects and traveling and hearing different sounds swirling around me. That felt like being immersed in different narratives and getting to really fly in my imagination. I remember I had this one journal where I used to draw a lot too. So I would write and draw in a journal and I each page was chalk filled of drawings and words that just was associated with a different country or culture or what have you. And it started with, I wish I was, ellipsis, Italian. I wish I was from Japan. You know, I wish I was, and then I would just say a different, you know, it would symbolize some kind of otherness. And I was curious about it. And in the drawings and in the kind of words, it would all be almost as if it was in the accent dialect or language of the chosen chapter. And you think this all stems from escapism? I think it's interest in a childish, playful way of thinking of sociology or anthropology or culture studies. It's like before you kind of understand what it is, but it's a mind that's interested in also creative narrative, right? So I did get into poetry and prose and writing and understood that all of these things that I yearned for in myself was really just characterizations, characters that I wanted to investigate or write about or learn more about. Starting at the age of 15, didn't you start capturing some of those characterizations on a VHS camera? Yeah. So I was living in France, in Brittany. My best friend Kate and I, we became sort of sisters. And my school year abroad program was in Brittany because, frankly, nobody speaks English in Brittany. You could never do it in Paris because everybody speaks English in Paris. You're not going to learn French. So I was in Brittany and I wanted to document my extraordinary experience there. And I was 15 and I thought, gosh, I don't have a video camera. So my French family told me that there was a mall in town that they would take me to. And I went to a camera store and I couldn't afford to, obviously, at that age. And especially at that time, you can't buy a VHS camera, mm -hmm. video camera. So I rented it. I rented a VHS camera. And just mind you, it was massive because <laughs> you have to get a VHS in there. So it was just a huge behemoth of a thing. And um, and I brought it everywhere. And it was definitely strange. I think people, especially in kind of suburban France, were like, what the hell is this crazy mm -hmm. American kid doing? But I was so grateful to have these tapes. And it was the beginning of my filmmaking, I suppose. Why did you change your voice? To do that? Yeah. Um, to say the thing that was undeniably true about something that you've given your life to. <laughs> because I do think that playing with my voice is a big part of how I, it's like almost uh, it's play for me. You okay. know, it's not like in denial. But yes, I mean, my therapist says the same thing about like when I'm like, and, you know, it's really <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to be co-parent. <laughs> like, why are you laughing? You know, but I think in filmmaking and making pieces of art, I tend to not want to overly take myself too seriously. And I think I can overcorrect. Mm -hmm. Well, we can swing the pendulum back 
Sure. And be plenty yeah. silly. We can be silly and serious. But you're right. I mean, it's a fair call out because I, I do think because I am a filmmaker, I am a writer, I am a director, I am an actor, I'm a producer, I'm those things. But I think there's a little part of me that's like, fucking get over yourself. You know, <laughs> like those are just the words of what I am. But I don't know where that comes from, whether that's like me being self-conscious, I'm going to be like pretentious or some shit. We're figuring it out. In real time. That's the goal of the show. Okay. You mentioned those tapes that you filmed on the VHS camera. I'm curious, have you looked back at them? Yeah, I have looked back on it because what that started for me in France, that first VHS, I ended up recording all of my life until I moved to L.A. So in different types of DV, I've had them all digitized. And, Unbelievable. And, yeah. That you chronicled this period I mean, it feels more like when I look back on them, I, you really see through the lens of discovery. You see like a young brain being like, wow, to things. What would it, you wow to? Wow to, first of all, I edit as I go because, of course, I didn't have editorial equipment. So I started to learn. I'd get very frustrated. I remember early on when someone said, hey, can I try? Can I sh try shooting? And I'd be like, "Ah, uh, yeah, but quick cuts, quick cuts. Yeah, I used to say <laughs> As a kid, I just be like, oh, it's too long. It's too, you got to uh, just do little bits, little bits, <laughs> because it would be so fun to see the jump cut into God, things. You must have been such a fun friend. To I have. know. I know. <laughs> I think about it. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> but you know what? I was a fun friend because I feel like I mean, there's definitely cringy moments. I, of on course, there. relate to all this is, this is <laughs> yeah. totally tracking. But in that time when you're using the VHS camera, mm -hmm. were you also using the Dictaphone, dictaphone from Radio later. Shack? Radio Shack Dictaphone came in when I moved to England because... It says eight, at 18. At 18, yeah. When I started to record accents and dialects and vocal qualities and quirks that I found interesting. When you look back at the tapes, you listen to the old recordings of just people's voices. Do you think collecting these experiences offered you some kind of control over them in a time that maybe... You didn't have a whole lot of it. Certainly the video camera early on as a young girl, that felt like a tool for control. It's documentation, sure, but it's also it's in real time realizing that something's special and wanting to harness it. And the control of quick cuts, quick cuts, quick cuts. I mean, that sort of does round out and kind of is a snapshot of what I enjoyed about it, which was I could editorialize the experience. But I think that later on with the dictaphone, that became a slightly more focused academic interest that I was satiating. I was scratching an itch of something very specific that I narrowed in on as an interest. The human voice. The human voice. And why we sound Why the way we, we do. sound the way we do, but then also the beauty and joy and gift of other voices that I noticed. I hear you. I see you. I want it. It became like kind of, yeah, it's an obsession. It's a passion. Like my whole day will be derailed if I hear a great sound of a voice. I'm going to be late for this meeting, goddammit, because I got to go and talk to this person. I mean, you know, whether it's the barista or a doctor that I, I go to get, see the eye doctor and, you know, I'm just like, where are you from? Mm -hmm. You know? My mom called this out. She was like, it is a really funny thing that you do when you talk to people about their voice, because what you're doing is 
you're sort of fanning the ego a little bit because I'm asking you about you and your voice. And yet people are so the humility and the kind of like uh, red cheeked, oh, but I don't love my voice. I don't like it. But it is this fun thing where they get to talk about themselves, but then also be kind of humble and self-deprecating at the same time. It's sandal season. Look, everyone always gets excited for sandal season. The weather is warmer, but I wear sandals year round. And now you can too, thanks to Crocs. With the new Crocs style sandals, you can embrace those feel good summer vibes all year long. I love Crocs sandals, not just because they're stylish, but because they're so comfortable. And when I'm comfortable, I feel I can do anything. They have new Miami sandals and Brooklyn sandals, but my absolute favorite are their getaway sandals. They are so soft, light, and thin. It literally feels like I don't have any shoes on at all. There's a cushiony soft footbed and it honestly feels like I'm walking on clouds. Style-wise, they go with anything and everything and I can wear them anywhere, no matter how casual or a more formal event. You have to check out the getaway sandals and all of their sandals come in such a variety of colors. So you can match with any outfit. Right now, get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code sandals20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. I know how great did that sound? That was a preview of Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. And you can hear more from Talk Easy wherever you get your podcasts.